It's good to be with you this morning as we continue to dive into God's word, just as we've been over the last nine months, walking through the book of Genesis all the way up to where we are this weekend in the book of John. And uh, it's just so good to see so many of you here this morning. Some of you that are our normal Saturday night crew are here on Sunday morning because you were out celebrating last night with Jake and Bethany Belvi as the first introduction of them this morning here at church. And they're off getting ready for their honeymoon now. And in addition to that, it's so good to see so many of you that are new or maybe you've been checking things out for the last couple weeks. I hope that you'll take time this morning, that you'll look inside of that bulletin that Colin mentioned earlier, and that you'll see a welcome home card in there that lets us know how we can walk alongside you in your journey of faith and ways that we can help you connect right here. You know, potentially this morning, there are some of you that have come in the door with just this burden of, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. There's a gentleman by the name of James Helm last night that walked in with that exact feeling and he came and he surrendered his life to Jesus in baptism, had clothes ready in hand. And maybe you this morning don't have clothes ready in hand, but I want you to know that there has been a way that has been made for you to say yes to the promise of Jesus Christ and to receive salvation that is found in him and in him alone. I hope that you'll respond. Today, as we jump into the book of John chapter 14, we're gonna see a bigger expanse, just like we have been seeing, of how much there is to know about God. In fact, as we've been journeying through our small groups, our weekend teachings, uh, even our personal study, I hope that what you've seen is that God cannot just be captured in words. (laughs) He can't just be captured in descriptions. Rather, God is much more holy, much more vast, much more eternal than what we oftentimes even understand. His thoughts are higher than our own. His ways are higher than our own. Skip Moen, he's a very well-learned individual and a teacher of Hebrew and the connection between Hebrew and what we experience today within the church. He says this, that God does not come to us in a nicely defined, rationally explained thought categories. He said he does not fit himself into our theological textbooks. Rather, God breaks all the rules. He is near, yet he is transcendent. He's clothed in human form, yet he is holy. He's more terrifying than can be imagined, yet he is compassionate. He's invisible, yet he's revealed. He's judging, yet merciful, sovereign, yet humble. In fact, no matter where we look, God breaks all the molds. He breaks the molds of what we try to categorize him into. Because he, my friends, is the maker of all things. He's the alpha and the omega and the one who has put all into motion. And so as we get ready to lean into this topic this morning, we need to know that we can know God and we can have confidence about what he's like, but at the same time, we will never be able to truly understand him completely. This is that tension of knowing God yet not being able to grasp fully who he is. And one of the mysteries of this is found in the centralness of the Trinity. This is a core of our Christian faith that God has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
The Trinity is not three different gods or one God operating in modes or functions. Instead, I want us to understand the groundwork that within one God, there are three eternal and distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who all live eternally in perfect community. We saw this play out as we opened up in Genesis in January of this year, or potentially those of you who weren't here in January, if you have ever thumbed through the Bible and you start in Genesis 1-1 saying, I'm gonna read the Bible in the year, and then you get to halfway through Genesis and you say, I don't know if I can make it through it, right? In Genesis chapter 1-1, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. In the same way, in the book of John, we see another layer to this added. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning, and the Word became flesh, and He, Jesus, made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, specifically, as we look at the Holy Spirit, we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is at work. But Francis Chan puts it well. He says that our view of the Holy Spirit is oftentimes like the forgotten God. Because we spend a lot of time talking about God the Father. We spend a lot of time talking about Jesus the Son, the Savior, but our conversations or even our application or dependency on the Spirit of God seems as if it is forgotten. But Jesus makes it really clear here in John chapter 14 about the Spirit's work and how then we can remain in the work of the Spirit that he is promising to the disciples in this conversation and he has guaranteed for us here today. Look with me to chapter 14 verse 15. Jesus says to the disciples, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. This is one of those verses that you can have your pen and your highlighter ready to underline and see what it is that Jesus is promising and apply that to your life. He says this thing that is to come is the spirit of truth. He says the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Now, there's a lot to unpack in that especially with the language that Jesus is trying to portray, this mystery of the fact that he's going to the Father, but he's not gonna leave him as orphans, that his spirit's gonna remain with them. And so you can begin to see the workings and the parts of this Trinitarian talk about how there is a God, the Father, that Jesus is gonna ascend to. There is a spirit that is going to come after Jesus has ascended, and it's important for us to understand that this spirit, as Jesus is talking about here, is not limited to just external relationships. 
Jesus is saying, hey, you and I, we've been walking together. You've been learning from me. You've been seeing the things that I've been doing, but I'm getting ready to go to the Father, and so I'm gonna be absent, but the Spirit is going to come to you, and that's what Jesus leans in with them here. He says that the Holy Spirit lives in us. And as we're gonna continue to see, it's gonna give our lives purpose. You see, it's within the Holy Spirit that it helps us understand even what it is that Jesus is teaching here. The Holy Spirit is what guides us to understand the word of God that was even inspired by the Spirit through the writers that aids to us to understand the very vastness of God in our limited understanding and to see the pathway for salvation that has been made complete in Jesus and Christ alone. Jesus goes on in verse 25. He says, all this I have spoken while I'm still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father is gonna send in my name, he's gonna teach you all things. And he's gonna remind you of everything that I have said to you. He says, peace I live or I leave with you, my peace I give to you. He says, I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Now that was something that the disciples really struggled with was fear-based responses to situations. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that Jesus was inviting the disciples into things that were brand new, things that they had never experienced before. And isn't that how we are in anything that we do for the first time? Students, think about it this way. Uh, the first time that you got behind the wheel of a car, right, and you were able to drive with your learner's permit, right, like Audrey over here who just recently got her license, right? The first time that you got behind the car, were you immediately confident and 100% that you've got this thing? No, right? Like, of course not. And I can promise you that neither your mom or your dad was either as they sat in the passenger seat. <laughs> Because it takes experience for us to be able to grow in our confidence of what it is that we're doing. It's the same thing whether we are driving cars or we are experiencing our first tornado warning of the South, right? Those that move to this area and they start seeing all those sirens going off on the TV, they're like, man, we need to run to the bathtub right now. And those of you that have lived and grown up here, you're like, no, no, we need to go sit on the front porch. We need to watch this thing come through. Or the first time that you've been on an airplane and you remember this idea of, I'm 30,000 feet in the air. I'm taking off. Or if you're like Brandon Dickerson, that brother sometimes is driving the airplane. But the first time that you drive an airplane or fly an airplane, you're not 100% confident. And that's why they don't just let you jump in a plane and try it out. Because it takes experience for us to grow in our confidence of the things that we're experiencing. The situation does not change, my friends. The action of what we're doing does not change, but our experience with it reduces our fear. And it brings peace. Several times in this discussion, Jesus is going to point out to the disciples, if you look to the end of John 14, and you look to the end of John 15, and you look to the middle of John 16, Jesus keeps reminding the disciples persecution's getting ready to come. In fact, disciples, I want you to really lean in close here because there's gonna come a time where people are going to drive you out of the synagogues and kill you because they believe that they're doing a service to their God. 
He's saying, I want you to hold fast. I want you to get ready. I want you to have peace, even though your situation is going to be different, because what I am promising to you is a Holy Spirit that has wisdom and experience in all things. He's saying, you don't have to know the words. You don't have to know the situation. You just need to know that I'm sending the Spirit of God who has equipped you and knows all things already. That's the peace that Jesus is trying to lead the disciples to and us today. The peace that is found in the Holy Spirit's work that goes beyond what a fallen world can offer to us. Peace that can be found through the experience of trusting God who has the authority, the wisdom, and experience over all things. There's an often quoted, Instagram-worthy, uh, posted scripture reference in Philippians chapter four. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, we manufacture a lot of things that we think bring us peace, don't we? We pursue a lot of things that we believe in our flesh that will give us what it is that we need to have peace. And I want us to recognize that our bodies, our life, it craves peace. Think about it. Is there a moment that you are thankful to be in the chaotic situations that you find yourself in? Is there a moment that you enjoy being overwhelmed? No, we chase after peaceful things that we believe are gonna supply this peace that we need, but all the while we're putting our stock in our time and our effort and our energy into things that were never promised to bring us peace. I think if we were to write this verse out of Philippians in our own words or our actions, it would sound something like this. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation that makes me feel uncomfortable, I'll escape into my phone so that I don't have to deal with what is happening in front of me. It's the great distraction and dilemma of our generations now and what is to come, is that we don't know how to have peace in the waiting. It used to be that we had to sit in waiting rooms without having any distraction, and it kind of forced us to talk to people within the waiting rooms, or maybe we pulled out that old magazine that was there, and we started reading through it, but it forced us to be able to have conversations. But now we don't have to do that, because any moment that I start to feel uncomfortable or bored, or I feel like I'm just overwhelmed, I can escape into my phone and just start flipping through it to get this peace that is temporary. Or maybe don't be anxious about anything, but every time that I feel overwhelmed, I'll slam as many calories as I can, or I'll take as many drinks that I can to just take the edge off a little bit. Don't be anxious about anything, but when faced with a tough moment, I'll lock myself in my room or my house, or I will distance myself from the gathering of God's people and try to sleep or hide it away. You see, we can try to bury whatever feeling under a fake smile, <laughs> or uh, when people ask us how we're doing, I'm doing great. Praise God. Everything's awesome. 
All the while, we continue to press down our anxiety and depression and anger through a secret addiction to pornography, to substance abuse, all the while trying to grasp this temporary relief or peace, only finding ourselves going deeper into a hole that we're digging for ourselves and feeling like, "Ah, I can never get out. But praise be to God that we do not have to stay there. But indeed, just as we learned last week and just as we are seeing here in the work of the Spirit, God has come and met us right where we are. And he is inviting us back home to see that he's the one that will give us what we've been craving, the one that will give us the peace that passes our own understanding. You'll see as we move forward in this text in John that Jesus quickly finishes this discussion about the Spirit and he invites the disciples to continue walking with him. You'll see at the bottom of John 14, he says, come, let us go. It's almost like this hard stop. And then if you look in chapter 15, Jesus begins to start telling a word picture for them to be able to apply this truth. I almost imagine it's like Jesus and the disciples, they're walking on the road and maybe they're passing a vineyard or there's a beautiful fruit tree that's near them and Jesus kind of parks it for a second. And all of a sudden he says this in John 15 verse one, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. He says, you are already clean because of the words that I've spoken to you. And so remain in me as I also remain in you. See that no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Do you see the word picture starting to form in your mind? Do you see the connection between what Jesus has talked about and this promised Holy Spirit that's to come and what he is leading them to understand about remaining in him? He's leading the disciples. He's leading us today to recognize that we have to have a dependence on him that apart from him, we're gonna see in John 15, five, that we can do nothing. He says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying our life's purpose, friends, is to remain in him so that we would have the ability to bear fruit. Now, we're not talking about popping out grapefruits out our eyeballs or seeing bananas come from our fingertips, all right? That's not what Jesus is leading us to. He's leading us to the fruit of the Spirit, which if we look in Galatians, you see that that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, Now, if any of those words that I just said are things that you want in your life or that you have been searching after in places, then know that it is God's spirit that produces those things. Are you absent of love or joy or peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, or self-control? If these things are absent from you, know that it is available through remaining in God and the power of his spirit that's at work in you. 
It reminds me of our vegetables and other gardening items that are coming forth right now in this almost harvest season. Uh, I think about our uh, zucchinis right now, right? This end of the summer zucchinis that they go from like a little tiny zucchini to this massive big as you head zucchini overnight, right? If we don't pick them this day, then they're going to be like this and now it's worthless and we're trying to give it away to people that don't know anything about zucchinis and they're thinking, man, I got this giant zucchini. Yeah, and it's not worth anything, right? It reminds me of that because it reminds me of this word that Jesus talks about here with pruning. Did you see that? He talks about the father being the gardener and that he cuts away every branch in me that bears no fruit so that it can be even more fruitful. The definition of pruning is to cut away dead or overgrown branches or stems, especially to increase fruitfulness and growth. See, the reality is, is that if we're not pruned, then even in good tilled soil that has lots of water, plenty of sunshine, it will overwhelm itself. It will choke itself out. And just like the branches in Jesus' story, we're all unique. We all have different things that are growing inside of us. But his desire is to prune away the things that are not producing fruit so that the overall picture of our life is focused towards the work of God's spirit. And the work of God's spirit is transformation. The reason why it's transformation is because within our broken and sinful life, God is at work within us. He's cutting away these pieces in our life that have limited us from being able to experience him and what he's doing. And hear me on this. These pieces that he's cutting away are not just pieces that are dead branches. That's one of them. But he's also cutting away branches that are not producing the fruit that is needed. He's weeding out the places in our life and in our heart to allow us to be even more fruitful. And the byproduct of that is transformation, not just internally, but externally. You can look at the disciples, for example. While Jesus was physically with the disciples, these guys were quick-tempered, very often fearful, They were thick-headed. They often did the opposite of what Jesus was asking them to do. But once they received the Spirit, we see them become fearless. We see them become sacrificial. We watch these men die in horrific ways for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They weren't running anymore. They were proclaiming the truth of what God has done because of the work of the Spirit that was within them and empowering them to be able to do what God desires them to do. And in the same way, it is our call on our life to pursue what the Spirit is doing so that we would be transformed from the inside out. But friends, the only way that we do that is if we lean in and we make space for the Spirit to work in our life. Do you remember after Jesus was baptized in the Jordan, what did the Spirit do next in leading him? Does anybody remember? How many days? Do you remember? 40 days. Jesus, the Son of God, was led into the desert, the wilderness, for 40 days. Why? I mean, think about the time span of Jesus' ministry. 
from the moment that he potentially begins his ministry there to the moment in which he dies on the cross, that's not a long breath of time. But yet God uses 40 days of that time to take him until the wilderness so that he would be able to experience the lead and guide of the Father through the Spirit. That's why the Spirit led him to that place. And we can see a little bit of how the Spirit empowered him to speak on what it is that God's desires are, even as he was tempted by Satan. I think for you and for me, we miss out on the transformation of God's Spirit because number one, we don't feel like we've got enough time. And number two, and I think far more important, is that we think our problems in our life are external. We think that it's the people that are treating us a certain way or acting towards us a certain way. Or if this person would just get their things together, then it wouldn't be like this. Or if my boss would just treat me in this way, then it wouldn't be like this. Or if I didn't have a family that was like this, or I was able to make more money, or I was able, I was able, all these things that are external. When the truth and the reality is, is that God's work, just like it's promised here in John 14, is within us. My biggest problem, friends, is realizing that it is not happening outside of me, it's happening in my own heart. And let me tell you, it is a difficult process to get to that humbling moment where we see that it's not about these things. It's about this thing right here. But when we get to this thing right here and we allow God's spirit to do its work, it is transformational. I praise God that his spirit is not just external, but that it comes and makes its dwelling in us Jesus finishes here in John 15. He says, when the advocate comes in verse 12, whom I send from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify about me for you have been with me from the beginning. This spirit that God has given to us that wants to do this work within us is the same spirit that was hovering over the waters when God said, let there be light. It's the same spirit that empowered the prophets of old to proclaim the God who is doing this great work and being able to lead the people of God to be identified as his sons and daughters. It's the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the spirit that God desires for us to have in our life. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. The spirit's work is not just here on earth, friends. The spirit's work is eternal because it is only through the sealing of the Holy Spirit that we can have eternal life with God. Let there be no misunderstanding about that, that it is God's Spirit who seals us for eternity, and that because of our sins, we have been separated from God. Jesus' payment on the cross and his resurrection for the grave has given us forgiveness but it's the Spirit of God who seals us and empowers us and keeps us and teaches us and prunes us for our time between now and eternity with him. 
In the book of Acts, we see the Spirit of God descend, chapter 2, and we see these cowardly disciples who are gathered in this moment have a dramatic transformation. One of them specifically is Peter. Peter, the one who denied Jesus three times when he was pressed at the campfire on the day in which Jesus was on trial. And someone said, I think that you're one of those disciples. Are you one of the followers of Jesus? And he goes, no, 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 that's not me. They ask him again. They're like, I know, I'm telling you, you look just like the guy who cut my cousin's ear off. I know that you're that brother. No, 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 that's not me. A little girl asked him and it just puts him over the edge. And he says, I didn't even know the man out of fear and cowardlessness. But it's this same Peter in Acts chapter two when the spirit descends who gets up before the people and he lays out what it is that Jesus has done and he says this and it's a promise not just for the people that were standing there on that day. It's a promise for us who are seated in this place and every generation that has come and every generation that is going to come. He says, repent friends and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. These words mean so much more when we understand the Spirit's power, doesn't it? That we understand that this gift isn't just an add-on or a badge of honor that we wear because now we have the Holy Spirit living in us. This gift of the Holy Spirit that he's promised is the thing that's going to transform us. It's the thing that's going to prune us. It's the thing that's going to seal us for eternity with God. Why would we reject that? Why would we continue to live in turmoil and in chaos when God has promised a peace that is greater than this world? And today the invitation is still open for us to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior in baptism, just like Peter has said here. And if that's you today, may you not wait. I will meet you right at the steps here and we'll walk back and we will together join God in his promise of salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit. But for those of you who have the Spirit of God living inside of you, and today it has just brought up all of these places in your life of, am I really depending? Or am I just going through the motions? My challenge for us today is that we would go back to the moment in which it all began with him. Do you remember the day that you first experienced God's Spirit? Do you remember what that was like at camp when you felt his presence come and just consume you? Do you remember what that was like as a, a mom or a dad that maybe had been checking things out for a minute and you were reading your word or maybe you were present in worship and God's spirit just led you to a place of peace and purpose that you have never felt before? Not something that could be described in, in words, but something that was felt internally. Do you remember after those moments how God began to just cut away some of the baggage inside of your heart and life? Do you remember how he took things that were so broken and he started healing those things? He started purposing those things. I think there's this temptation in our life of faith that we believe that our beginning journey with God is almost like this training wheels moment, right? Like we're the kid and he's the father and he's pushing us down the road and we're getting to experience this joy. And after trusting him for some time, we feel like, oh man, I can just kick these training wheels off and I can do it. I can do it, dad. 
how foolish to think that we've got anything. Jesus tells us, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's not a slam on us. It's an invitation to say, God, I trust you with all of it. And I want to be right where you are. And friends, that's what the Spirit helps us do. Living inside of us, it draws us back to those sweet moments that are not just reserved for temporary times. It's a guide for our whole life. And maybe today for you, it's just a matter of standing and having your arms wide open, saying, God, I'm, I'm right here. I have tried to do it on my own. But I have come up short over and over again, and I'm, I'm trusting your spirit. Maybe for you, it's that pruning day where you just need to be on your knees saying, Lord, I give these things that I have pursued peace into you. I'm tired of temporary pleasures. I want your spirit to invade every corset of my being so that I would know that you're the one you need someone to pray with you about that today, I encourage you to make your way to the cross and there'll be someone there to meet you and to walk you along your next step. Lastly, this. There's often a miscommunication about this desire for the spirit to come and do this great fireball moment in us or that we need to display all these external things to prove that we have the spirit living inside of us. And let me tell you, friends, because of what Jesus has done, God has poured out all of his spirit on us. And it's not that we need more of God. It's just that we need to give more of ourselves to him. Saying, God, have your way. You lead, I'll follow. Let's stand together and pray. Lord, thank you for that promise that has been made complete in Jesus the forerunner, the perfecter of our faith. Thank you for your spirit that is dwelling in us who have believed you as Lord and Savior. And Lord, in these moments, we surrender ourselves to you, that you're all we want, all we need. May you have your way. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.